Welcome back, my spooky friends, um, to another episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie. Um, we're going to get into quite a freaky story about some men in black and the crazy coincidences and alien kind of encounters today. Uh, before we jump into that, um, I'm going to go ahead and read one of, one last uh, Black-Eyed Child story. I realized I didn't catch on the last episode. It was actually the original Black-Eyed Children's story from Brian Bethel. All right, buckle up. It's going to be a really spooky episode. All right. Brian Bethel's Odd Encounter. On August 28th, 1990. Seven, a man named Brian Bethel posted a story to Google Groups board that was soliciting spooky stories, and a spooky story he had indeed. One night in Al Albaline, Texas, Bethel left his apartment around 9.30 p.m. to go drop a payment for his internet service with Camelot Communications in a Dropbox at an old location of theirs on North 1st Street in downtown. The center was next to a $1.50 movie theater, which on this particular night was showing the movie Mortal Kombat. Bethel passed the theater and parked in an empty space at the center, where he could use the light from the theater's marquee to help him write his check. Then someone knocked on his driver's side door. A little surprised, Bethel turned to find two boys, aged somewhere between 10 and 14, he guessed. One boy was taller than the other and was wearing a pullover hooded shirt with gray checkered pattern. He had olive-colored skin and curly medium-length brown hair. The second boy had pale skin with a trace of freckles and pale orange hair. He was wearing a hooded shirt that was light green in color he looked around nervously as the other boy talked to Bethel. Bethel's pr first impression was that they were not related to each other and that they were going to ask him for money. Then Bethel's feelings on the whole matter shifted to an unreasonable fear for no apparent reason. The tall boy smiled, which Bethel stated chilled my blood. As Bethel explained, I could feel fight-or-flight responses kicking in. Something I knew instinctually was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. Bethel rolled the window down slightly, enough to talk to the boys. The tall boy smiled wider, showing very white teeth. The boy wanted to see the movie, but had forgotten their money. They needed a ride to get home to get the money, and wanted Bethel, Bethel to give them a ride. And while the voice of that was that of a young boy somehow in how the words were being said it felt wrong the tall boy was too confident not acting like a child asking a stranger a favor he was acting as as if bethel was required to let them in the car and the more and the question was a mere formality bethel hesitated to answer the request then he noticed the second boy eyeing, eyeing him nervously, a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. Both boys seemed a bit surprised that Bethel had not agreed immediately. 
The tall boy spoke again, assuring Bethel that they just wanted to go to their house and that there were just two little boys. Bethel was sure something was wrong, so stalled for time by asking what movie they were going to go see. The tall boy said they wanted to see Mortal Kombat, of course. Bethel looked back at the pre at the theater and realized the last showing of the movie for the night had started an hour previously, so the boys could not possibly see the movie that night. The silent boy looking increasingly nervous. The tall boy started talking soothingly, assuring Bethel that they they couldn't get in his car unless he let them in, and they would just go to their mother's house, and then the boys would be gone before you know it. Bethel realized his hand was on the door's lock and that he had started to open it. He jerked his hand away violently and then looked back up at the small at the tall boy to try and explain his action. In the moment he had pulled his hand away from the lock, Bethel had broke eye contact with the tall boy for the first time in the conversation. Now when he looked back, he saw what he failed to notice at this point. The eyes of both boys were coal black orbs with no irises or pupils. The silent boy now had a horrified look on his face. Bethel guessed that the look on his own face had given away this discovery. The tall boy was now clearly angry, but continued to ask Bethel to let them in the car. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That was enough for Bethel. The car was still running as he had never turned the engine off when he initially parked. As Bethel reached for the gear shift, the tall boy started to yell in anger with a touch of panic. Then Bethel had to let that Bethel had to let them in the car. They could not enter unless Bethel told them they could. He slammed the car in reverse and tore backwards out of the parking lot. And the boys were gone. The sidewalk near the theater was deserted. Sometime after this strange occurrence with the two black-eyed children, Bethel called a friend of his named Chad, who had gone on ghost hunts previously. Chad had two female friends with him, both of whom claimed to have psychic abilities. During the call, Bethel started to describe his encounter to Chad when one of the women stopped him early on in the narrative and asked him if the children had black eyes. Intrigued, Bethel admitted they did, then asked why she asked. The woman, a week earlier, had a dream about children wanting to be let in her house, and though it took a while for her to realize it, the children had black eyes. She kept her house locked up tight. She felt, or she intuitively, intuitively felt that if they were let into her house, they would kill her. In finishing this story, the woman then told Bethel that had he let them in the car, they would have killed him too. First off, the movie Mortal Kombat was released in 1995. And in 2013, in a 2013 article, Bethel wrote for the Abilene Reporter News, he himself narrates the date for the encounter down to sometime in the spring or summer of 1996, but is unable to be more precise. 
So his report in the Google groups came around a year after the event likely would have happened. The text of the report Bethel posted makes it very clear he told the story many times before, that he assumed most of the readers for the post would be people who had already heard his story previously. According to Bethel, writing in 2013, he had initially shared the story of the encounter just a few friends through email, and from there it had been leaked out onto the internet. So his posting in the Google groups may have been more along the lines of making sure that the story was being told about him was at least told right by him. Another thing to note in searching for more versions of this account is that Bethel has dubbed the tall boy as the spokesman, and many people have picked up on that title for him. The internet popularity of Bethel's account seems to have led to a series of false black-eyed kid reports in a questionable British paper called the Daily Star through 2014, which I'll have to make a list of someday. Well, that's the story I forgot to put on the last episode. The original 1996 black-eyed children's story. Creepy, creepy. Um... I mean, a lot of people think that they, you know, are aliens, you know. And speaking of aliens, we'll get right into some, you know, freaky encounters with the real uh, men in black. <laughs> if there is such a thing. All right. Let's see. Let's take a short break. And come right back to it. All right. So today's episode is also going to be from Thought Catalog um, by a writer named Jacob Gears, updated November 11th, 2020. Who are the real men in black? Depending on who you ask, the Men in Black, or MIB, are either another nutty UFO conspiracy or they're part of a secret government agency designed to prevent the public from learning more about UFOs. The Men in Black always appear unannounced, usually clad in black business suits, and warn people to give up their research into UFOs or face dire consequences. In many cases, the Men in Black have also seen aliens, in some accounts, they are aliens themselves, or some form of demonic supernaturals. But what would the government want to suppress information about... Why would the government want to suppress information about UFOs? As the theory goes, it's because aliens are closer to us than you might think. They might actually be everywhere, and if ordinary citizens realized just how real the threat was, there might be mass panic and breakdown in social order. Some folklorists, however, claim that the whole idea of men in black is itself a form of mass panic or a psychological drama due to suggestibility and a willingness to believe. Others, however, insist the men in black are part of a real government agency designed to prevent the public from learning the truth about UFOs. They also insist that their experiences are real 
that if anyone who thinks they're crazy is merely a tool of the government of government propaganda and manipulation. At the moment, there's no way to definitively definitively declare whether the men in black are real or not because they're part of a secret government agency. They may not have entirely kept the secret, <laughs> but they prevented any conclusive evidence of their existence from leaking out to the public. As the dust settled from the World War II and the USA launched into a Cold War with Russia, paranoia and conspiracy theories spread throughout the land. In this climate of high tension, suspicion arose the first mass sightings of unidentified flying objects in American history. The first known report of mysterious strangers showing up and warning someone not to talk about their UFO encounter was in 1947 with Howard Dahl. Since then, there have been countless reports where people who witnessed to have, who claimed to have witnessed aliens say they were subsequently visited by men in black suits who warned them to keep quiet about their experience. Writer John Sherwood claims that his friend Gray Barker concocted the myth of the men in black in 1956 book called they knew too much about flying saucers. Sherwood swears that Gray came up with the theory as a joke, similar to rumors of how L. Ron Hubbard invented Scientology as part of a bet with another science fiction writer as to whether he'd be able to invent a successful religion. Whether or not Sherwood's story is true still doesn't account for the fact that Howard Dahl's report of the Men in Black sighting predates Barker's alleged hoax by almost a decade. Since the 1997 release of the original Men in Black film and its sequels, reports of encountering MIBs has remained st fairly steady. There's currently no way to establish whether any of these claims made in the following stories were true, only that it's true that several people have claimed experiences that are eerily similar. Below, we've collected stories about the encounters with the real men in black from across the web. All right, here we go. First one is called The Real MIB Agent Who Made a Coin Disappear as a Scare Tactic. <sighs> These sentence-long titles. <laughs> they bug me. <laughs> All right. Dr. Herbert Hopkins was working as a, cons a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. One evening, he received a phone call from someone purporting to be an activist in the UFO community, asking him if he could visit Hopkins to discuss the case. Only minutes later, the man arrived. The man was wearing a black suit and black tie and very and had very unusual facial appearances with no hair or eyebrows, an extremely pale figure. Hopkins' dog began barking erratically the minute the man entered the home. After the bizarre visitor was finished questioning him about the UFO case, the visit got even stranger. Here's how it went according to the night sky. The man in black informed Hopkins that there were two coins in Hopkins' pockets, which was correct. Asked him to remove one. Hopkins com 
applied and held the coin, a shiny new penny, in the palm of his hand. The MIB told Hopkins to watch the coin closely. After a few moments, the coin took on a silvery appearance and then appeared to be going out of focus. It then began to fade and eventually disappeared altogether. The MIB informed Hopkins that the coin would never be seen on this plane again. He then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. Hopkins replied that he had heard of Hill, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The MIB informed Hopkins that was correct. Barney didn't have a heart. Just like, you know, you no longer have a coin. It should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. The MIB then gently suggested that Hopkins destroy any material he had related to the UFO case. Hopkins, extremely shaken by the encounter, followed the advice of the man, burned all the files he had related to the case, while he had repeated phone troubles after. The phone company said his line had been tampered with, maybe to tap it. He never saw that man again. Creepy. There are a lot of alien theorists um, the people that try and, like, channel aliens and, like, all that kind of thing. It's always, like, they're on a higher plane than us. I don't know how much I believe about that, um, especially because I've never experienced any of it. But it kind of goes along with him sending the penny to a different plane, you know? It's like, it's no longer on this plane. It's disappeared. That would be freaky for sure. All right. The next story is the doctor threatened by the men in black and told to stop his UFO research. Dr. Albert Bender was a well-written, extremely intelligent researcher who founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau. In 1955, his research was about to yield serious fruit. As he prepared to unveil a paper that would prove the U.S. government had, to one degree or another, covered up the proof of UFOs, he planned to publish his findings in the Space Review. This was until he was visited by the Men in Black. Bender claims that three men, dressed in all black, visited him at his home and warned him against pursuit of the topic of UFOs any further. The men left Bender scared for his life, and he immediately shut down all his research and the Flying Saucer Bureau. <laughs> Many people who knew him claimed that Bender was a changed man after this encounter. His later works were rambly, almost unreadable, and he seemed to live his life in constant anxiety and terror. He purported to still receive mysterious phone calls when nobody on the other end until the end of his life in 2002. All oh, that's sad. It's like, I don't know, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, like, maybe he just didn't have any information. And, like, that was just his story from, like, being like, I just wasted everybody's time. I don't know.
Or maybe his... I don't know, but, like, even... Even back then, like, thugs could have been hired to, like, get him off the topic. But, like, there's always the question of intention. Like, why? Why would someone hire thugs to do that? I don't know. I don't know. We know the videos came out uh, this year in 2020 about some of the UFOs that the military has captured. Pretty interesting stuff. Stuff that we've all kind of known was out there. But still seems like some of these stories are a little little out there. But we'll keep going. Alright. The Maury Island Incident. See, that's a title. I'm intrigued. Tell me about the Maury Island Incident. Harold Dahl and his son were salvaging logs on a fishing boat when they spied six donut-shaped crap donut-shaped crafts flying in the air above them. The crafts dropped molten waste onto the lake, which allegedly killed Dahl's dog and injured his son. Oh, that's sad. I would... I would have a fit. Something happened to my teddy. Dropped molten crap on my dog. I'd be pissed. All right. A few days later, after talking about the affairs with his boss and his friends, he was visited by a mysterious man dressed in all black. The man urged him not to discuss the encounter. Not long after, he was also visited by several Air Force agents who were said to be on a mission to gather information. Dahl's story definitely got the attention of various law enforcement agencies in the United States leading the FBI to write a report on the matter. Not long after the encounter with the man in black, Dahl claimed that the whole thing was a hoax, but recanted years after having allegedly made the first confession under duress. Weird. And of course, you can look that up on the internet. You know, Howard Dahl, FBI report, it's right there. I'm not going to read through it because some of it's redacted. I don't, I don't feel like meddling through that. All right. Next one is doo -doo -doo, the Solway Firth Spaceman Photo Invites a Government Visit. I'm all for a good conspiracy theory. Jen... Templeton was shocked to discover this figure in the background of a photo of his daughter. He, the figure, they misspelled the, was like, he figured, the figure was not in the camera's view when he took the photo, and nobody had any idea where it came from. The film was verified as authentic by Kodak, and Templeton's story went public. Not long after, he was visited by two quote, government agents, who referred to them as nine, number nine and number ten. They demanded to see the site of the photo and requested Templeton and questioned Templeton about the event. When Templeton told them he didn't see the figure personally, the men became angry and stormed out, out of the field, never to be seen again. Templeton was later contacted by two employees at a Michel at a missile launch 
pad in Australia who claimed they saw two figures that resembled the man in his daughter in his daughter's photo on a on launch pad security footage. Apparently, the missiles at that site in Australia had been produced only 20 miles away from the field where Templeton took the photo. Huh. Weird. I'll put the photo on the Facebook page um, so you guys can see it for yourself. Um, I mean, it does look like a, a spaceman standing behind this little girl, but... Kind of weird. All right. Next one. Guns no good against aliens. Paul Miller was returning home after a hunting trip when he saw a luminous disc in the sky. The disc landed in an empty field and two humanoids emerged from the craft. Miller fired his gun at them and believed to have injured one when he fled down a rural road in his car. However, in that moment, he realized he had lost time. It was almost three hours later when he, than when he first encountered the craft. He shrugged it off and went back to his Air Force job the next day. However, upon entering work, he was immediately confronted by three men in black suits. They told him that they had his file. Despite having no one, having told no one about the event, the men said that they knew all about it and mentioned that the encounter would be the would be best forgotten. They seemed to know everything about me, where I worked, my name, everything else. Miller had said. They also asked questions about his experiences, as if they already knew the answers. Miller, terrified, did not come forward about his experience until years later. Creepy. So, maybe that was just like, I mean, he worked at the Air Force, so maybe that was like a government thing, you know? And he shot at government people doing a government experiment. I don't know. All right. Next one is radio personality harassed by journalists for talking about UFOs. Again, with the long titles. Danny Gordon was a radio personality who became interested in a flurry of Wythe County UFO sightings. Multiple people across the county claimed to have seen bizarre objects in the sky, and Gordon decided to investigate. Gordon became obsessed with getting photos of the objects, including one time where an entire school bus of students saw the UFO flying over a shopping mall as Gordon took photos. Eventually, Gordon snapped a few photos at extremely close range that allegedly verified they were not of this world. However, strange things began to happen to Gordon. He received a phone call from a man who claimed to be ex-military, and warned him that his research could cost him everything and urged him to stop for his family's sake. Gordon was also interviewed by two men in black suits who claimed to work for a magazine publication. Not long after the interview, Gordon realized all his photos were missing. He contacted the magazine for information, 
They claim to have never heard of him, much less commissioned an article about him. Not long after, Gordon suffered a heart attack, and his doctor warned him that all the research and stress was jeopardizing his health. Gordon gave up the story and was never bothered again. That's weird. <laughs> Even your doctor's like, stop chasing UFOs. <laughs> like, what the crap? I mean, it's sound advice. You're chasing a dead rabbit. Stop it. Um, I don't know. I still think it's kind of conspiracy fodder. Like, with this kind of stuff, you know, with somebody ex-military warning him, it could cost him everything. Being interviewed by two men in black suits. I mean, come on. With all the stuff that we have in the media now of, like, the elite and the crazy things that elite can get by with, what if it's them, you know? <laughs> what if it's some kind of, like, Illuminati stuff? You know, he got too close to figuring out that, like, they have such advanced technology already that they're not sharing with the general public, you know? So maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I mean, if you're listening to this and I'm right, <laughs> don't come hunt me down. I have no money. <laughs> All right. I think we'll take a short break and we'll get right back into it. All right, welcome back. UFO researchers harassed at home by Real MIB. UFO researcher Jack Robinson and his wife Mary began to experience extremely strange events as they pursued more alien and UFO-related research. They would come home to, found their, to find their house rummaged and looked through, and their UFO files disturbed. Mary also began to notice a strange man in a black suit and hat staring up at their apartment from the doorway. Mary mentioned that this mentioned this activity to a friend who drove over and saw what she was talking about for himself. The friend, Tim Green, snapped a photo of the man, which is believed to be one of the most ironclad pieces of proof of the men in black. And here I'm looking at a photo, you know, of a guy wearing a black suit. <laughs> it's only creepy in context. But I digress. That is weird. I would not appreciate <laughs> looking out the window and seeing somebody staring at me from across the street. Not one bit. Mm -mm. No, sir. All right. Professor harassed in library for reading UFO book. Professor Peter, I'm not even going to attempt that last name. It's got a lot of letters. Claims that he was reading a UFO book in the library when a strange pale man wearing all black sat down next to him. The man began talking to the professor and asked him about his opinion on flying saucers. The professor replied that he wasn't super interested and the man became very agitated. He eventually left, leaving the professor extremely uncomfortable and anxious. He did not reveal this story until many years later, when he finally gave a lecture on this subject. 
He remains convinced that it was a Men in Black official who confronted him in the library, and to this day is trying to find more people who have had similar experiences. Eh. I don't know. Like, the Men in Black usually are said to, like, take away your research or get mad if you're researching, and so this is weird that, like, he said he wasn't super interested and the man became agitated, <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. Um, next one is actor Dan Aykroyd. His show was shut down by MIB. Dan Aykroyd has come forward with a story about how he was taping a show about the paranormal. He stepped out to take a phone call from Britney Spears. <laughs> I don't know if this story is true. <laughs> take a phone call from Britney Spears, who was asking him to appear on Saturday Night Live with her. When he noticed a black Ford parked across the street, a tall man stepped out of the Ford and then stared him down. Aykroyd turned away for a moment and then turned back to find that the man and the car had completely vanished. After he finished his phone call, he returned to the studio to learn that his show had been canceled and he was ordered to stop filming immediately. Some doubt his claim, but Aykroyd says he knew what he saw and maintains that there was some kind of connection between these MIB and the end of his paranormal show. Okay, kind of weird. Might need to fact check that one. Alright, we'll take a short break. All right, stepping away from the paranormal slash weird slash unexplainable men in black. I'm reading an article on Vice by Tim McMillan about the Pentagon invest investigating, you know, Tom DeLonge's UFO videos. Um, the UFO. The Air Force's Office of Special Investigations has confirmed that it, too, has determined that the videos showed unidentified aerial phenomena. Alright. Since re reports first surfaced in 2017 that the U.S. Navy had been encountering UFOs and the Air Force has been remarkably quiet when it comes to mysterious objects that may be flying around the skies, Given the Air Force is America's principal area, aerial and space warfare branch, and in the 1950s and 60s, it conducted the only official investigation into UFOs with Project Blue Book, many ufologists have found the Air Force's recent aversion to discussing the topic to be particularly odd, especially when considering that the Navy has been rather vocal on the issue. Yet after months of deafening silence, in an official statement, the Pentagon suddenly throw the Air Force into the mix with a recent UFO reports. More excitingly, it also mentions one of the most notorious agencies in all of UFO lore. Susan Goh, a spokesperson for the Secretary of Defense's Office of Public Affairs, said the Air Force's official... Office of Special Investigations looked into the release of two videos originally filmed in 2015. According 
to the Department of Defense. The objects shown in these videos, originally released by Tom DeLonge to the STARS Academy, are considered unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. The two 2015 videos appeared in the New York Times in December 2017. At that time, some kind of acronym, it probably stands for Air Force of Special Investigations, conducted a investigation focusing on the classification of the information in the video. Goes mention of the Air Force Office of Special Investigations looking into the popular Go Fast and Gimbal videos is intriguing given it appears to be the first time the Pentagon has revealed that the Air Force has indeed been involved in the Navy's UFO encounters. For many of the UFO community, this comes as a special, especially significant and concerning news considering the Air Force Office of Special Investigations has a long and nefarious history when it comes to UFOs, with many claiming that this agency are the real men in black. By federal statute, the Air Force Office of Special Investigation provides independent criminal investigative counterintelligence and protective service operations worldwide and outside of the traditional military chain of command for the Air Force or Department of Defense. The Air Force Office of Special Investigations is at the center of UFO culture, which has most famously come from accounts of former Air Force of Special Investigations agent Rick Doty, featured in the documentary film Mirage Men. Doty and the Air Force of Special Investigations, I now realize why there's an acronym. Let's call it AFOSI. AFOSI. Doty and Afossi allegedly seeded a cornucopia of misinformation on UFOs in the 1980s in an attempt to safeguard classified UFO technology. From the contentious M12, MJ-12 documents, secret underground alien bases, cattle mutilations, crash retrieval of alien space craft, top-secret cooperative agreements and exchange programs with extraterrestrials and the U.S., an alien race called the Ebens, a.k.a. the Greys, alien abductions to the recruitment of once-prominent UFO researchers as clandestine assets of disinformation, Virtually every popular UFO legend and conspiracy theory has some connection to a Fosse because Doty claims he seeded disinformation while at the group's command. Doty's accounts aren't the only connection between a Fosse and UFOs. A CIA study published in 1997 details how in the 1950s and 60s, the CIA and AFOSI promoted UFOs to cover up the then-classified U-2 and SR-71 Blackbird reconnaissance planes. According to the study, over half of all UFO research or reports from the late 1950s through the 1960s 
were accounted for by manned reconnaissance flights, the report stated. This led the Air Force to make misleading and deceptive statements to the public in order to allay public fears and to protect extraordinarily sensitive national security project. I mean, what the crap? <laughs> you told them it was aliens to help them not freak out? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, why didn't you just say it was military maneuvers and people literally would not care? Literally, they would not care. <laughs> But no, you had to go make up UFO stories. Now you got people scared. <laughs> so, I mean, I believe it could happen. Spreading disinformation. I believe it happens today. <coughs> the origin of COVID. Oh, goodness. Sorry. A little tickle in my throat. All right. Back to it. Whether or not a Fosse still continues to be involved in UFO incidents today is unknown, although the Pentagon's recent statements suggest that a Fosse hasn't completely given up topic. The Pentagon's sudden mention of a Fosse in connection with the 2015 UFO videos is curious, considering they've never been any dis there's never been any dispute these events were all U.S. Navy affairs. Throughout a series of emails chronicling the release of the videos by the Department of Defense, which were obtained by a Freedom of Information Act request, the Navy is listed as the original classification authority for these infamous UFO videos. Additionally, Ghost said recently, the U.S. Navy retains custody of the source videos from 2004 and 2015 sightings. Given one of Afasi's roles in security management for highly classified Air Force programs, or SAPs, it would be easy to assume the Air Force interests in the 2015 videos were because the objects are actually classified Air Force technology. However, what the Pentagon says was the conclusion of Afasi's investigation seems to suggest the exact opposite. The investigation determined the videos are not classified. Of course, the abrupt mention of a Fosse is the only eyebrow-raising statement to come out of the Pentagon as of late. After months of saying the DOD had investigated UFOs with the controversial Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, wow, mouthful, Weeks ago, the Pentagon reversed course and now says that that big long name was not related to UAP or UFOs, and instead, the purpose of that big long name was to investigate foreign advanced aerospace weapons systems applications with future technology projections over the next 40 years and to create a center of expertise on advanced aerospace technologies. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of red tape. Part of the confusion and contradictions with the Pentagon's original stance on UFOs has, may have arisen from the decision made in December that all UFO-related media inquiries to the DoD are now being handled solely by the Under Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs Office. 
Incursions into the military airspace and training ranges by UAPs are problematic for both safety and security concern for all of the Department of Defense, not any one military service, Go said. The investigations into these incidents also involve multiple U.S. government agencies to ensure consistency in response to queries submitted to the DOD, individual military services, and other DOD agents, agencies. Um, the OSD, Public Affairs, took lead in responding to all media queries sent to the DOD on UFOs. Well... I don't know. That uh that was kind of boring. <laughs> so I mean, I could believe it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that our government doesn't tell us. I believe it, you know. Um I'm sure there are things that they can't explain or if they could explain, you know, they don't want us to know at least. <laughs> So it just depends on how much of a conspiracy you want to like travel up that. You want to pull that thread. I want to get back to talking about the paranormal men in black instead of the real ones. The real ones, they should scare us all, but they're not paranormal. <laughs> but there are things flying in the sky. The government's admitting it. It's 2020. You know, they released a bunch of videos earlier this year. You know, of UFOs and stuff like that. Declassified. So, I think it was to distract us from something. But it's fine. It's fine. Alright. We'll take a short break. And... Get back to the paranormal ones in just a minute. All right, welcome back. All right, now we turn to Reddit for some of their encounters with the Men in Black stories that they've posted. A little backstory on this one comes from, says it came from 2004. And it was something that he will never forget. A little backstory. Prior to the MIB incident, I went on a camping trip to Joshua Tree National Park with a few friends. On our last night there, we were looking up at the stars while in front of the campfire. That's when I witnessed a couple of glowing blue UFOs in the night sky going at amazing speeds. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and my friends were equally amazed and mystified. I tried to take a photo with my flip phone, but UFOs moved too fast for me to get a clear image of them. On our drive back home, we talked more about what we saw and were really excited about it. Not long after, I noticed a black car following me from a distance. I switched lanes to make sure the black car was in fact following me, and sure enough, when I, where I went, the car followed. So when I glanced in the rearview mirror again, the car suddenly disappeared without a, without a trace, which was really unsettling. The next day, after running a few errands, I started driving home, and when I arrived at my house, I saw a black Cadillac parked in my driveway. 
I tried to convince myself that it wasn't the same black car following me a day ago, but my gut feeling told me otherwise. When I got out of my car, two men in matching black suits, light gray dress shirts, black ties, black fedoras, approached me and asked if they could ask me a few questions about what I witnessed the night before. I asked them who they were and to see some credentials, and they claimed that they worked for a division of the Air Force. Their appearance looked what I can only describe as plastic and expressionless, and they both had pale olive skin. They spoke in a raspy, monotone voice, and their speech was very precise, sounding almost synthetic. They also had a very cold and intense gaze. Some of the questions they asked were, can you describe what you saw that night? What did you think you saw? Did you take any photos of what you witnessed? Were there others who might have been recording devices or cameras? Do you know if anyone recorded the incident? Have you spoken about this incident with anyone who wasn't present with you that night? Did you find any unusual debris at that location you were at that night? Would you be withholding any inf important information from us? Of course, I didn't answer most of their questions, honestly. I did withhold a lot of information as to what I saw and who I was with. They ended their questioning by strongly advising me to refrain from talking about what I witnessed with anyone and to forget the, the incident ever happened. They also strongly implied that they would be keeping an eye on me in case I decided to ignore their demands. After the encounter, I had this constant, ominous feeling for a while and always looked over my shoulder wherever I went. I don't know who these men were or how they had knowledge of what I saw that night, but I believe they were the men in black. Since the encounter, I've been really hesitant and careful about who I share my experience with, but I finally decided to, you know, share it here. Edit. The years following that incident, I only had a couple UFO sightings at night on separate occasions, but I haven't had any more visits from odd men dressed in black. Not yet, anyway. <sighs> creepy, creepy. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't get what the big deal about, like, knowing about this stuff is. If it... If it is indeed, like, the government trying to, like, protect it. Like, why can't the everyday man see something he can't explain floating in the sky? You know? Nobody's gonna believe him. Really. <laughs> um, my sister Paige, um, sorry Paige, uh, texted me the other day and she was like, hey... I have a memory from when we were kids, and I want to see if you have the same memory. And she was like, did we ever see a UFO while driving in the car? And I was like, yeah. Um, Dad was driving us to go pick up Deanne uh, from Brown Street, and my sister Deanne, um, from this other gym that we played basketball and volleyball at. And my dad was on his way with me and my little sister Paige in the car to go pick her up. And, you know, there was this such a bright, such a bright light, you know, and it was like spinning 
and you know it was just it was going super fast it wasn't flying like a helicopter or you know there's an army base near us fort knox so like it wasn't like you know anything that we had ever seen you know and we're used to seeing the planes fly pretty low overhead so um yeah it was really weird and it pretty much stayed with us the entire time we were you know driving through vine grove on our way to brown street to pick up my sister and then it flew off out of sight don't know could have been a military plane but like i said we were we were young so um could have been anything but it was just funny it was one of those things that like i didn't really categorize as like um anything real you know i was like maybe i dreamt that i don't know but then when my sister Paige texted me about it and she's like i had a random memory and i wanted to see if you had it too <laughs> it brought it back and i was like yeah yeah that did happen i do remember that because we were fascinated and my dad was like he thought we were just like you know being kids looking at a helicopter or a plane or something but we were like oh my gosh what is that it's spinning <laughs> it was pretty cool i mean um definitely a cool sighting it was it was in the 90s so show my age a little bit um might have been in the early 2000s i don't know it was somewhere around there but um yeah and my grandma she claims to have seen one back in the 60s she hasn't told us the full story but she believes in ufos because she said she saw one they lived out in the out in georgia you know <sighs> might have to get the story out of her one day all right there's a little real story for you and now we're going back to reddit with another story submitted almost two years ago it says my elder brother was an intelligence analyst for the army he and his wife and another couple went up onto a hill near the base to observe a full moon one night just a casual night out they witnessed an amazing aerial phenomena with blazing blue orb conducting maneuvers that no human craft could do. Both my brother and his friends were expert in the capabilities of all aircraft extent at that time in the world. After observing the events for some time, the light suddenly stopped, held stationary position in the sky. All in the car had a certain feeling that it was noting their observation. Then it seemed to surge towards their position, looming large. All the above was happening around 10 p.m. at night. The next thing they knew, it was 4 a.m. in the morning, and their car was 100 miles east of the base. It was also sitting exactly in the middle of a harvested wheat or barley field. They got out, walked all around the car, there were no car tracks to their position in the field. It was just sitting there in the middle as if it had been dropped out of the sky. A period of hysteria struck them all, and they fled the scene. 
and just kept going until they intersected the interstate. That was when they realized how far they were from the base. Some days later, Men in Black visited my sister-in-law at her home and also visited the wife of my brother's friend. They did not ask questions. They just made very ominous threats about not talking about what happened. Some years later, my brother said they had arrived at his office on base and threatened him. What really rattled him was that no one else in the complex saw them arrive or leave. And this is a controlled access intelligence area. Even years later, my brother, a hardened Vietnam vet, would start pouring tears when speaking of coming into the coming to in the field. My sister-in-law would burst into overt weeping at the mention of the men in black, even on a television show. They are deeply paranormal undertones to these events and encounters. My brother doesn't show tears for anything, not pain, not loss. He has the thousand yard stare of the combat, combat veteran. A light moving in the sky does not shatter him. Something very deep and profound is going on with these kinds of encounters that assaults the mind and being of those who go through them. Yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. You know, it's a controlled access area and nobody saw the people that he saw that came and threatened him. That's weird. Um, I mean, some things can be explained. Like, they can. Um, and again, I can go on rampant conspiracies about, like, some elite somewhere having way advanced technology and just out for a joyride, you know, but I digress. You know, if our government had that kind of technology, I feel like they would use it more in military or like in war because we're always in a war. So I don't I don't know if it's them. I do know if you have... Um, you know, trauma and, like, fear-based and, like, all that kind of stuff at a very young age um, or even, you know, hardened military people with the PTSD. Um, it can create periods of psychosis um, where you are delusional or do see things. Um, so it is an explanation for different paranormal stuff that people claim to see me i mean i like that there's an alternative explanation but i also really like the paranormal explanation um yeah i like to believe i like to keep an open mind let's just put it that way because i know the stuff that i've seen isn't exactly stuff that you can verify in science like the shadow people you can't verify that you can't be like, hey, what makes up a shadow person, <laughs> you know? Um, it's just something that you experience or you don't, or you believe or you don't, you know? Um, I think the same goes for UFOs. It's something that you either experience it and believe it <laughs> because you were there, or you don't because <laughs> you haven't experienced it. 
Um, there's a lot of correlating stuff, and we might do another UFO episode some other time. Um, but where people are like thinking it's only been minutes and it's really been hours, you know, that lost time kind of thing. Um, that's really common with uh, UFO sightings and you know saw something they turned back and then they found themselves you know an hour later somewhere else you know no memory of what happened <laughs> so it's kind of like that like <laughs> everybody look right here <laughs> blink you know from the real from the mib movies with will smith um it's like they erase your memory but I don't know if that's the aliens. I don't know if the MIV or the Men in Black are the aliens. I know there's sections of the government, like a Fosse, that could be the real Men in Black, you know, because they're special investigators outside of the chain of command of normal military, you know. Who knows? There's so many, so many things that it could be. Um, just different accounts of, like, you know them coming into an office and seeing a pen and just being like fascinated like a pen was something that they've never seen before and like asking people to like come with them and like the people obviously don't you know but there's so many reports of like stuff like that happening and like people these men in black like materializing and then just like leaving nobody sees them just like in that story nobody saw them come in or out but the guy is like no they threatened me you know so who knows who knows this is a head head scratcher for sure um this is something that i just i don't know i don't know but we will take a short break and get back to it after this. All right. I'm going to draw this episode to a close. Uh, I'll probably have some more stories for you peppered in with some of our listener stories a little bit later. Um, seems pretty straightforward. Who knows if it's the government or aliens themselves. I like the story about the coin disappearing. That was a cool story. Real or fake. It was a cool story. But I hope you enjoyed. Um, feel free to follow us on the Facebook group, Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Today's episode was more of the spooky shiz. <laughs> or, you know, it wasn't a verified paranormal story. Um, anybody that submits a story to me, I read it anonymously. Um, but if you're part of that Facebook group, feel free to post on your own. If you have a good story for us, um, we'll be sure to read it on there and give you credit. Um, but yeah, this has been fun. Uh, go ahead and follow us on the Facebook page, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shizzes in parentheses. And stay tuned for further episodes. Stay spooky, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>